In the early 90s, there was a great king who ruled in Africa. And one day, he was out surveying his kingdom along with his son, his eventual heir. The, the connection, the relationship between these two was irrefutable. They were incredibly tight. And so while they were there surveying the land and the kingdom, the king would share with his young son all about the duties of kingship. He would talk to him about love and wisdom and duty and vision. This would be a critical conversation for his son because unfortunately this would be the last conversation that he would have with his father due to the king's untimely death. I actually have a picture of these two. Oh, come on. Right, the Disney pastor's back, come on. There's something very powerful about parting words. Here, I have another example. Uh, back in 2010, there was a young man named uh, Andy Davis, and he was about to head off to college. And he had his car packed, and as he was getting ready to go, there was one more thing Andy Davis had to do, and that was get rid of his toys. Yep, Andy had to get rid of his toys, and as he was handing them off to young Bonnie, you know, Rex and Bullseye and Jesse and Slinky Dog, and I mean, all of them, He's handing them off with the condition, with the instruction. Now, you got to promise to take care of these guys. They mean a lot to me. Okay, let's get serious. There's another one. Um, back in 1997, 1997, there was a terrible, terrible boating accident. And, and there was this couple, Jack Dawson and Rose DeWitt Bucater. <laughs> and, and they were awaiting rescue in the icy waters of the North Atlantic. I have a picture. Yeah, when it became clear Jack was not going to get a lifeboat, his parting words to Rose, promise me you'll survive, that you'll never give up, no matter what happens, no matter how hopeless you are, promise me now you'll never give up. Okay, those are fictional. How about one more? This one's real. This last summer, I got to see Hamilton for the very first time. Hamilton in the house. Okay, so I got to see Hamilton for the very first time. Oh, now you don't do it? Okay, cool. So one of my favorite moments from the show was this. Then President George Washington sharing with Alexander Hamilton that he would not be seeking that third term. And the song that follows is called One Last Time. It chronicles the eventual address drafted by Hamilton and delivered by the president. It was far more than just a resignation letter because Washington understood the weight of this moment. He understood the opportunity to poignantly give some parting advice. You see, a critical transition is just that. It is critical. And I think we'd all say transitions are difficult, but goodbyes are opportunities for imparting words. Goodbyes are opportunities for those imparting words, and such is the case today. And so if you've got your Bible or the app, head to Joshua 23. As we walk through the life and times of Joshua, Israel has acquired the land that God had promised. But verse 1 sets up the condition of Joshua. We read this. After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am very 
old. Some versions will say, I'm well advanced in years. The bottom line is, he's saying, guys, I am 110. I'm getting up there. And while he was older, it did not diminish his leadership or his effectiveness. Joshua was still a man of God. He was still effective communicator. And while he was living in the present, he had eyes for the future. And he knew it was time for a change of leadership. And so a lot like Moses and David before him, he had some parting thoughts. And to give those thoughts, he, he called two different meetings. The first we'll look at in chapter 23, the second in chapter 24. And, and while it's a generally peaceful, restful, enjoying God's blessings kind of time, Joshua is my kind of guy. He's a realist. The glass isn't half full. It's not half empty. It's just a glass. And he knows that those that used to be um, committed in the past are slowly dying off. He knows that this next generation hasn't seen all the miracles and the wonders of the Lord. And so as a realist, he is realistic about the challenges that Israel is going to face and the need to stay the course and remind them about how great God is. And so as we look through the life and times of Joseph, today's text outlines Joshua's last opportunity to offer godly encouragement and critical reminders. Those same encouragements and reminders we will find are profitable for us today. Joshua sees some things starting to happen in the lives of the people, and he doesn't like it. Robert Kairosaki says this, have the courage to say what needs to be said to whom it needs to be said. And just like that great coach, that great teacher, that great parent, in this critical moment, Joshua does what we expect him to do. Joshua says what they needed to hear, not what they wanted to hear. In his commentary, Alan Carr offers three fears that likely fueled Joshua's parting words. We'll look through them real quick. In verse 6, Joshua offers this. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Here, Joshua offers a warning against complacency. He's warning against complacency. He's afraid that the people might become complacent in their walk with the Lord and start to let things slide. First, he calls them to be strong and careful. Actually, he says, be very strong and careful. Be very strong in your obedience. They had to be. They had to be very strong and very courageous because their faith was going to be challenged. You know, it's, it's easy to follow some rules, but really only the ones we like. But following, as he says, all that is written, that's going to take some serious strength and boldness and bravery and intentionality. And knowing that he's going to be absent soon, he says, be careful, be watchful, be aware. And we know that complacency is not just an Old Testament thing or a New Testament thing. It's a 2022 thing. Because like it or not, that's normal today. Good enough is just that. It is good enough. Complacency can get us in trouble at work, on the soccer field, and most importantly, in our faith. Jesus doesn't mess around here. In Revelation 3.16, we see this. Because you are lukewarm, 
neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. This verse is part of a letter to Laodicea. And this metaphorical example is actually founded on a real life situation that they would have known about. To the north of Laodicea was the Hierapolis, and they had really healthy springs there. To the south was Colossae, and they had cold springs, and those cold springs were clean and refreshing to drink through. But Laodicea in the middle, well, as the water got there, it became lukewarm. It became tepid, unclean, undrinkable, so much so that if you did drink it, you'd want to spit it out of your mouth. You see, by the time that they got to, by the time this letter got to Laodicea, the church there was indifferent because they had found that they had believed they had found everything they needed was fulfilled on earth. In other words, Jesus is saying to be spiritually healthy is to be hot or cold. To be spiritually sick is to be lukewarm. Now, one might think, well, I am not Mother Teresa. I am not that good. I am not a saint, but I'm also not Adolf Hitler. I'm a pretty good person. I, I, I show up at church. I love my family. I love my friends. I, I give to, to charitable organizations. I get along. I'm right in the middle. And Joshua's concern is founded in that thinking that there is no group in the middle. Find in the Bible where the human race is divided into the really good, the really bad, and the really just in the middle. There's no in the middle. But if we drift to a modern complacency, we can be satisfied with good enough, a good enough spiritual condition, which disconnects us from God, and that leads us into our personal preferences and ultimately sin. And before we know it, we're like, that church, neither hot nor cold. And so first, Joshua feared for them complacency. But second, he would fear or he'd offer a warning of compromise, a warning against compromise. Now, it's interesting, in every other context of our lives, compromise is more than a courtesy. It's an expectation, like, we are expected to compromise at the office. Or when it's time to select a place for dinner, we're expected to compromise on where we're willing to go. Think of a car deal. We want the car dealership to compromise with us. We expect our kids to compromise when they're on the playground. And that expectation also applies at home compromising on what show we want to watch. Yes, I would love to watch Fixer Upper again. But when it comes to our faith, interestingly, there is zero room for compromise. Joshua will say this in, verse 20, in chapter 23, verse 7. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. Joshua wants to make it crystal clear that we are not, not to engage with any other gods than the Lord. He says pretty clearly, don't associate, don't even mention. He fears that at some point they're going to let down their guard which leads to compromising their standards, which leads to an acknowledgement or even a worship 
of other gods or idols. Joshua is playing out this possible progression. And so instead, he says, preserve or keep your love and devotion to God only. And Joshua's fear and hope for them, yeah, that can translate to us as well. Spiritual compromise, that's a challenge for us today. Because I think if we're being truly, really transparently honest, golden calves have been replaced by success and things and money. Like on the weekend, we sing, Jesus, you're more than enough. And then during the week, we chase the world. I would offer for your consideration, how we spend our time is what we prioritize. How we spend our time is what we prioritize. Maybe it's hobbies or reading or going to the gym or shopping or social media or work or friends or fun or sleep or fantasy football. Those things on their own, they're great. None of those things are bad, but where do they fall in priority with your relationship with Jesus? And as a side note, if that sounds churchy, good, because you're in churchy right now. (laughs) Joshua had the foresight to see the potential competition for God from Israel. And quick spoiler alert, what he was afraid of would happen happened. So Joshua's foresight is for us too. We live among a a wide range of competing idols in our culture and our world, but God has not taken us out of the world yet. Instead, he leaves us here. He leaves us here and wants us to understand that we are in the world to have a mindset for today and a vision for tomorrow. And that means maintaining a mindset that we're running a marathon. This is not a spiritual sprint and we can't deviate off course. So Joshua feared complacency. He feared compromise. And third, he feared commitment. He warned against commitment or really lack thereof. You know, when I sit with a couple for premarital counseling, I I jokingly, seriously say to them, when I announce you husband and wife, like, that's it. It's forever. No take backs, no returns. You are in it, committed. So much so that when Sean and I were in premarital counseling, our pastor had us bring a dictionary one day. Dictionary, yeah. Hello, do you guys know what that is? Okay, anyway, a dictionary, a book of words and definitions. Okay, so we brought a dictionary. He had us go to the D section, pull out the page with divorce on it and had us burn it outside of a Starbucks. It was weird and I can't believe we didn't get the cops called on us. Anyway, it was this reminder that divorce for Shauna and I would never be an option. And Joshua offers the same sentiment here. Check out what he says in verse eight. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. I love, I love this verse. You are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. Now notice, this is not a suggestion. This is not a recommendation. This is not a hint. It is a command. You are to 
There's no gray area here. Here's what you are to do. Some versions, if you're looking, might even say the word cling, cling to, hold fast or cling to. In other words, have a tight grip, hold tightly to. Now I get the importance of clinging. In January of 2021, our family went to Hawaii and my mom and I have this somewhat tradition of purchasing experiences over gifts. And so that Christmas before, I had this great idea. What about an experience of my mom and I, for her Christmas gift, going rappelling in Maui? And so I thought, this is going to be so great. And she opened it on Christmas, and there was like excitement and terror and more excitement and more terror. And as we got there... To Maui, on the day, we drive on the road to Hana, we finally get there, we park, we meet the rest of our crew, and I remember getting all harnessed up, and I'm like, this is gonna be fun, and then that first test rappel, and I'm like, this is not fun. And <laughs> after we did the test one, our, one of our guides looks up, and she's like, the weather, the weather's great. I, I think we can do the waterfall. And so that most of the group's like, yeah! And I look at my mom and we're like, oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is really fun, whoever is over here. It's very participatory tonight. <laughs> so what we do is we, uh, we get over to the waterfall. I'm actually going to show you a picture here because as, as it was my turn, as you can see, I'm, high, I'm in that blue shirt at the very top. Like, I, I lean back and I'm like, man, this is going to be okay. Like, it's, it's, a, it's actually kind of cool because the waterfall's there and it's a beautiful day and there's people down cheering for you. I'm like, I think I got this. And then the next picture you can see where I'm like totally killing it. Like, it is going so well. I'm like, I hope someone's getting a picture of this because this is awesome. And it was awesome until this happened. And I lost my grip. And I was convinced I was meeting Jesus. It, it was pretty bad. I remember physically, like physically hyperventilating. Water is splashing. It's no longer majestic. The water is splashing on me. I can't breathe. My, my heart is racing. And people above and below are yelling instructions, which don't really mean anything to me. None of that was helpful. But then I remember... Honestly, honestly, I remember this moment. I, I, it wasn't audible, but I heard God say, I got you. And then I remember the base guide at the bottom. You can see her there. She yells, regain your grip and cling to the rope. Regain your grip and cling to the rope. And then, as you can see here, I made it to the bottom after hugging that rock for about an hour. I realized two things that day. Number one, a guy afraid of heights has no business doing this. But number two, that clinging is critical. Clinging to is critical. And clinging to the Lord is the same as loving the Lord. Because clinging to him shows that we are dependent, that we put ultimately our trust in him and making clear what not to cling to, as Joshua already exampled, he's imploring them to cling to the Lord who is true and good and what they've already been doing. Remember the verse, he says, hold fast as you have been until now. You've been doing this. Keep clinging. God hasn't changed. Keep clinging to him. Keep holding on. Now, I get it. 
Clinging to the Lord is really easy here on the weekends or at refuge or at small group or in your quiet time. It's easy until it isn't. We've all experienced times when we maybe have solid footing. Uh, we think we do when we test it out and we let go of the rope just a bit and we're like, hey, it's okay. You let go a little bit more and a little bit more. Our confidence then increases, our dependency on the rope decreases. And if I let go, well, I can show I got this. I, I can show I'm strong. But Joshua is reminding us the very opposite is true. One might think it's thrilling and independent, but it's also very dangerous. Clinging to the Lord actually provides us unparalleled, unmatched strength. It is to our advantage and benefit, not to our detriment. Jesus would say in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Don't miss this. Remain in me or cling to me, bear fruit. Be apart from me, let go of me, do nothing. A branch is nothing without its connection to the tree. So fight, fight for that unwavering commitment to remain in, to stay in, to cling to, to hold fast to the Lord. Because those are your choices. The world or the Lord, there is no third option. And you know there'll be plenty of opportunities to be complacent or to compromise or to, to lack in your commitment, but don't. As I was reading over the text and, and through some commentaries, one commentator said something interesting. He said, it feels like Joshua is like that substitute teacher that is old and cranky. Like, do this and don't do that and do this and don't do that. I read that and I kind of, I wanted to push back because I don't think he is. He may be old, he may be cranky, but think about his heart. Remember the context he is talking to people that he loves. He wants to impart with them wisdom, warnings before he goes. And we know this because Joshua balanced concern with care. He shared some encouraging things here at the end. He says in verse three, you yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for who? Your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for who? You. He wants to recount where he's been, where they've been, how God fought for them, how God worked in them and through them, how they themselves have been an eyewitness to all God's faithfulness. He says, don't just look back. Look at the present. Look right now. In verse nine, he says, the Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. In verse 10, he says, one of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. Fights, not fought or will fight, fights, present tense. Look around you, Israel. He's fighting for you right now. They are living in the presence of God's fulfilled promise. In verse 14, he'd say this, you know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed, not one. Every promise has been fulfilled, not one has failed. How quickly 
we are, how finicky we are that we sometimes can't see what's good in front of us because we're so focused on what we want ahead of us. Three times here, Joshua will remind Israel of what the Lord God has done for them. And, and God was prepared to do more if they would remain faithful. And what does faithfulness look like practically? Trust? Yeah. Obedience? Yes. Confidence? Yes. Commitment? Yeah. But above all else, we're called to love God. Above all else, we are called to love God. Paul would say the exact same thing at the end of 1 Corinthians when he would define a true Christ follower as a person who genuinely loves God. And so when we boil down all of Joshua's concerns and his guidance and his hopes and his wisdom, it really comes down to one thing, loving the Lord. And I wonder if the people were like, hang on, Joshua. So all, about, all that about compromise and complacency and commitment, it's really all accomplished through loving God? Yeah. In fact, he says so in verse 11. He says this, so be very careful to love the Lord your God. I love the way it says it in different versions. Take utmost care for the sake of your life to love the Lord your God. Take diligent heed of yourself to love the Lord your God. So for your own well-being, be careful to love the Lord your God. Joshua is saying loving the Lord your God is encompassing and is shown through your action. We know this, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So we love the Lord. We love the Lord through our actions and our obedience and by loving others and through our words. That means in everything we do, we do so in a way that demonstrates God's love. And note that Joshua is not saying, do this for God's sake. Joshua is doing this for, he's saying, this is for your sake. God never stops loving us, but we can stop loving God. Christopher Campbell would say it this way. We can easily misplace our love for the Lord. The most dangerous thing that can happen to a Christ follower is they fall out of love with the Lord. So Joshua sends a very clear instruction to the people to make sure they understand above all else, be very careful. Give the utmost attention to the relationship that matters the most. God has shown his love for us. Jude 1.21 would say we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. Above all else, love God. You know, I, I'm, a, um, I'm a pastor, obviously, here at Cornwall, um, but before I'm a pastor, I'm a husband. Before that, I'm a dad and, and all of that. I'm also just a guy. I'm just Brian the guy. And Brian the guy has a hard time with death. Like, legitimately. I, I have done countless memorials and gravesides, and, and I consider that a great privilege. But it is a real challenge for me when it comes to death. I've lost all four of my grandparents and my father-in-law, Steve. I was away um, when my mom's parents passed. 
Um, but I remember when my grandfather, my dad's dad, was passing away. I remember I had a busy day ahead. I, I had something to do. We were down the south end and I had something to do on the east side. I remember getting the call and my dad saying you should come over and see grandpa. And, and so I remember walking in and just death. And I remember my dad and my uncle walking out of the room so that I could just sit on the bed and have that moment. I remember when I got the call about my grandma, my dad's mom. And I remember going into, she had been moved into a, a facility. And so I remember walking in, making the drive down to Tacoma and, and, and walking in and my dad and uncle once again walking out and sitting on her bedside and having a brief but very intentional last conversation. In 2018, I remember going to Swedish. My father-in-law had um, been admitted to take care of, they thought they could surgically uh, work on this, this cancer of the stomach, the lining of the stomach. And so he had been checked in and all the, uh, Shauna and her sisters, my mother-in-law were there and, and everyone was so hopeful. And then that afternoon, not. It was not possible to operate. And I remember Shauna and her sisters would be living at Swedish, just living. And if not there in the room, they had rented a place nearby up on Capitol Hill. I remember when Shauna called me and, and I think it was partly so that I would have a chance to talk to Steve while he was still uh, cognitive, uh, but also just to see my wife who I hadn't seen I remember driving to Swedish, and it was such a long drive. I remember parking and going in the elevator and, and riding the elevator and getting out and asking for the room. And just as I got closer and closer, you could, I could just sense death. And I was getting uncomfortable. And as I walked in the room, uh, my mother-in-law and Shauna and I, one of her other sisters left the room. And so there I was with Steve. He had a great great room with a giant uh, window. And I remember standing there at the edge of his bed, not really looking at him. And I remember he sat up from his bed and, and he looked terrible. I remember he sat up and it took a lot of effort and he kicked his legs over the side. Now we were both looking out at the Seattle skyline. And I remember I didn't have any words to speak. I'm not good with death. I remember we just both stood there and I, I just didn't know what to say. And then Steve, being Steve, broke the ice. And he started saying things to me. It became one of the most memorable, intentional conversations of my life. He would share with me some encouragement and one request. I remember it all. You see, I think I understand a little bit what it might have been like to be those people listening to Joshua. As Joshua was there, this, this guy who they have followed and loved and trusted, a man that they just revered, who had such great wisdom, someone who had their spiritual best in mind for years, now stood before them one last time, one last encouragement. As I reflect on chapter 23, I think it's clear. Joshua understood the assignment. Joshua used his finality to guide their future. He used the end of his life to guide their next chapter. 
If I had one more thing to say to you, Israel, this would be it. Keep running, keep growing, stay committed, don't be complacent, don't compromise. His time was ending, but their story was far from over. And these parting words were not for Joshua or his benefit or his legacy or his part in the Bible, but so that they could remain strong in their faith even after he was gone. Joshua was patient and determined, faithful and courageous. And yet, as great as Joshua was, we have an even more perfect leader to follow who isn't limited by time or age. One that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Joshua and Jesus' ministries may have been separated by thousands of years, but their encouragements, interestingly, remain the same. Jesus is also saying, keep running, keep growing, stay committed, don't be complacent, don't compromise, because it still matters. It mattered then, and it matters today. And Jesus, like Joshua, he's available when we need him the most, when we need that gentle course correction, when we need a realignment of our priorities, when we need a reminder of who it is we're actually following, when we need to hold on a little tighter and need that reminder. And so here's the challenge. It's two part. First part is what encouragement do you need from Jesus right now? And two, what encouragement do, does someone else need from you right now? What encouragement do you need and what encouragement does someone in your circle need from you? Jesus knows you. He knows where you're at and what you're dealing with and how you're feeling, what you're carrying. Hang in there. Cling tight to him. He can handle it. Tell him what you need. He cares. He'll show up. He'll comfort. He will provide. And then second, consider who in your life needs a little bit of encouragement in their faith journey. Someone who you have earned the right to speak into their life. And be careful, you don't need to save them. There's a savior for that. But Jesus places people in our lives to help navigate our spiritual walk. So who is it that needs to hear from you? What boulders are they facing? What valley are they sitting in? Can you see them slowly letting go of their rope. Church, Joshua's parting words have to serve as a reminder for us today. Let us not be complacent. Let us never compromise. And let us be firm in our commitment to love God, to follow him and hold fast.